going to kind of continue with what I started two weeks ago, Sunday nights, about the home. <coughs> and uh, before I do, <coughs> um, you know, one of the things I encourage people to do is read. We don't live in a reading age. Men need to read. Somebody said, one preacher said that readers are leaders, and all leaders read. We're to lead. We're to be leaders. Uh, a couple of books here I have. This one um, is by David Sorensen. He's a independent Baptist pastor up in uh, either Wisconsin or Minnesota. I forget. I think it's in Minnesota. Anyway, he's written several books. He's got one on children, too. It's very good. But this is called Have a Heavenly Marriage, and his basic principle is good marriages are built on righteousness, doing what is right. Uh, some good things in there. Um, <coughs> this is an older book. All these, by the way, you can get on our anyway, place like that. I don't know. We might have that one. I'm not sure. But anyway, in the bookstore. This one is called Formula for Family Unity by a guy by the name of, uh, well, it's a couple, Walter and Trudy Fremont. Um, they years the old school Bob Jones University some good practice at as well. Uh, this one is called Love and Respect. I'm not finished reading it yet, but I find it's it hit me right between the eyes. Uh, anyway, I would encourage all husbands and wives to read this. You know one of the things that that um, wife and I have done with some books and some we don't do this but some we do we read them together uh, but she's reading it and I'm reading it she has her own book and I have mine on this one but anyhow um, love and respect that he uses this these two books use the King James Version this and doesn't uh, but he goes through the principle I mentioned last or two weeks ago about you know husbands are commanded to love their wives wives are commanded to respect their husbands and, uh, you know, and, and he talks about, he calls it the crazy cycle, which a lot of couples are on. Because a wife doesn't respect her husband or she, he thinks she doesn't respect him, he gives her the silent treatment. Or he does something like we men do sometimes that, you know, gives the impression that we don't love our lives even though we still do. And... And they show disrespect, or at least appears. They don't mean to disrespect us, but it comes across that way. And, uh, and there's this crazy cycle of continual um, contention, I would say, or um, just plain fights. But I always said the making up is very sweet. By the way, I will say this. If two people live in the same house and they always agree one of them isn't thinking. So if you never have a disagreement, I really wonder about you. But anyway, so you will have those times when you're going to disagree. But uh, there are uh, biblical ways to solve them. Anyway, 1 Timothy or 1 Peter chapter 3 Verses 1 through, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. I did look at this a little bit last time, but anyway, go look at it again. Likewise, and the word likewise is a connective word. You see that in verse 1 and in verse 7. And it takes us back. Our example 
of course, is Christ and the church. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Uh, how Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And, uh, and we are to give reverence to him as his bride. And so the wife is to give reverence to her husband. The husband is to love his wife and give himself for his wife. So likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may with the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. There's that idea, coupled with fear. Um, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold on of apparel. Let it be the hidden man or woman, hidden man, it's a generic term there, uh, hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah bade Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as well as you do, do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So title this tonight, The Conduct of a Godly Couple. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity that is ours to look unto thy word. I pray that your Spirit of God would help us and open our hearts and our minds to receive the engrafted word which can save our souls, and Father can give us victory in our walk with you and in our relationships one with another. So I pray that you speak to our hearts, encourage us, challenge us, and convict us where conviction is needed, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we think about the, of course, this passage talks in particular about the husband-wife relationship, again. And uh, I'll just look at things here. First of all, the, the conversation of the wife. I really have two points, the conversation of the wife and the consideration of the husband. So as we think about the conversation of the wife, uh, and, and again you notice it takes us back to the, the preceding passage which talks about how Christ submitted himself to his heavenly Father. He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, verse 23. So the Lord Jesus Christ was in subjection or complete submission voluntarily to his heavenly he was even obedient unto death, even the death of the So really, we could say in a sense, he gave up his own life to do the will of the Father. And that's really what the picture here is that a wife is supposed to do to her husband. She gives up her own life. She submits herself to her husband to be his help meet. It's a voluntary giving in or submitting to. Uh, you know, this is an, this is an, and this submission is an invaluable, unspoken testimony to the grace of God. Notice in verse two, he says, "While they, you know, in, in, in this this context, the context here in particular, he's talking about how a wife may win her husband, an unsaved husband, by her conduct." Uh, you know, some of you know him, James Earls, uh, black preacher friend of mine, uh, whose wife the Lord now. But he said, he said, uh, my wife was First Peter three in shoe leather. 
And she, she led him to the Lord, not by her words, but by her conduct, by her converse, her manner of life. She didn't preach at he was a He was like a Jesse Jackson of his day. He was a political activist. In fact, he, he, did a, he made a movie about his life. He's written a book, too. The book is called Too Black for White and Too White for Black. Uh, anyway, he made a movie about himself, and, and uh, a rich friend of mine said, you know, after I watched the movie, I wanted to punch you. Uh, but he was, he was one of those black protesters back in the 60s that would go into where blacks weren't supposed to go and protest. He was a political activist. Sort of like a Black Panther. But she led him to the Lord by her conversation, her manner of life, her spirit, her attitude. So this, is, this speaks of an invaluable, unspoken, if you will, testimony. Um, and notice it says, while they behold, you know, behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Now, again, two words there. The word chaste means Pure from every fault. And if you next, you know, he's talking about if any obey not the word, they may be won by the conversation of the wise. And then he says in, in uh, verse 4, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. So if you put that, that pure from every fault into context, it's in the context of she isn't nagging at him. She isn't criticizing him. Uh, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs speaks of this in Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19. You know, and, you know, when a husband isn't doing right, that's what a wife wants to do. That's what comes natural. But, but a godly woman is, is not to do that. Proverbs 19 verse 13 says, Foolish son is the calamity of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. A continual dropping. Uh, Proverbs 27, verse 15. Proverbs 27, verse 15. Continual dropping in a very day in a contentious woman like. Yeah, and again, the contentious would be a, a critical or a nagging wife. Uh, I read the story one time, a guy who, to get a wife from his wife, joined the army and went to Europe to fight in the battle. And uh, while he was there, his wife sent him a, 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 a letter. And, and so he sends a letter back. He said, wife, let me fight this war in peace. Uh, you know, she was continually nagging at him about things. You know, it's, it, 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 it wears on you, is the idea here. And, and so... But this, this woman has a chaste conversation. She is pure from every fault. It also says, coupled with fear. Again, that, that means, you know, she's chaste, and it's mixed in with fear or reverence or with a respectful spirit. Again, five, Ephesians 5.33 says that see, wife reverence her husband. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a worship. Really, in a sense. You know, Sarah called Abraham Lord. You know the word Lord there is a small L. It's not a capital L. But she called him Lord. So it was almost like she worshipped him. Uh, and so she's to give this reverence or this great respect uh, to her husband. To her husband. 
Uh, and notice what it is not. Now, <clears throat> it is if you notice her adorning uh, in verses three and four, whose adorning let not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. Now, one of the things, you know, our society and feminism has teach women as they ought to do, they need to have be independent, and they need to, you know, they need to exert influence, and they need to be equal with men. But if you want a, if you want a man to love you, that isn't going to fly. You know, women have destroyed their dignity and their respect that men have by this feminism idea. Um, Henry Macau, who's a PhD, uh, said, if, and I'm not going to read all of this, but he said this, if a man doesn't demonstrate his power, he's considered enlightened and progressive say society but he goes on and says but somewhere in their subconsciousness women still feel let down for centuries women and children have relied on men to help define their lives men are failing their families when they go when they buy into the egalitarian anybody know what that means egalitarian belief in equality that's the idea of the feminism thing here the, the egalitarian, feminist, shibboleth, we saw that word in the Bible, that simply means that's a saying with little or no truth to it. That's what he's referring to. So, so they, when they buy into this belief in equality and the, the shibboleths that, and try to be nice guys. He says marriage is the exchange of female power for male power, male power expressed as love. Women crave male power because they're, in their minds it is love. When a man fails to lead his family and allows them to manipulate him, women and children, feel unloved and consequently have less respect and love for him. The old proverb, spare the rod, spoil the child applies. Women and children feel most secure when husband, father, asserts his just control. It means he loves them. Failure to take charge is interpreted as neglect. Thus a man must claim power at the outset and never let it slip from his grasp. He will be tested, but if I am right, women are testing his love. This is how women love and what they really want. To be consulted, yes, but to surrender to one man worthy of their sacrifice or of their respect. So, this this uh, adorning of a of a of a godly woman here is not that which is outward outward, but it's an adorning that is inward. It's not external. Um, it's this has this uh, this uh, fear or this uh, chaste conversation coupled with fear and again it's not outward it's not external it's not a fancy hairdo it's not glittering jewelry it's not expensive clothing you know all the glitters is in gold now 
don't want you looking ugly either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so Proverbs 11 says, a fair, a fair woman without discretion is like a, a, a swan with a piece of gold ring in his snout. Yeah. A fair woman without discretion. In other words, fair means beautiful. But she's without discretion. That word discretion there is translated taste five times. And, 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 and you might, somebody might say, well, you know, she's pretty, but she just doesn't have good taste. In other words, they could be saying, well, she dresses like she's from the 70s or something. You know, a burlap sack or, you know, or, you know, she just looks ugly because the way she, she doesn't, you know, fix herself up. Um, <clears throat> oh. But, but, it, but a godly, again, a godly woman's adorning is not, it's not that she is not. To pay any attention to those things, but that's not the emphasis. Many women look beautiful on the outside and inwardly. They're wicked and vile. No. What is of great price to God and to any man is that which is inward. He says that meek and quiet spirit. Now the word meek is kind of a difficult word to describe, but it really means something like this, even-natured, one who has their emotions under control, control, or you might say a spirit disciplined to do right. Now, uh, when we say one who has their emotions under control, what we mean there is, or doesn't make decisions based on their emotions. All women have emotions, by the way. So do men. Hey, man, do you ever get mad? That's emotion. Women usually don't get mad as quick as they might cry. But they might cry when they get mad. Or they might cry when they get happy. Sometimes I cry when I get happy, you know. Uh, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with emotions. But we need to have our emotions under control. Disciplined our emotions. So it's a spirit that's disciplined do right, to do right. So, you know, she is meek. She doesn't make decisions based on her emotions. Not that she doesn't have emotions. But also says, uh, well, as I think about that discipline to do right, the word discipline means here a, a regimen that develops or improves a skill. Now, a regimen is a regulated course. What it is. You know, school ought to be a regulated course. Eating should be a regulated course. So every every you know every area of our life ought to be regulated, ought to be disciplined. You know, sometimes I I see people, uh, and it's not just women. I, you know, men do it. They just buy different toys. You know, so like I heard, we were in Maryland, boys and I, we're in, we're in Walmart one time in Maryland years ago, and we were, of course, in the sporting girls were off looking at something else, you know. So, And we're just walking around. We're just window shopping. And uh, <clears throat> heard this guy say, yeah, every Friday night I come in. It was Friday night. Every, every Friday night I come in here, I, you know, I bring my check home, and I give the wife what she needs, and I bring the rest of it here and just spend it. Oh, what a fool you are. 
That's just undisciplined. Without regulation. You know, and again, you know, as we, and as we think about women, you know, you know, I know one of the things, you know, especially when they get to become grandmas, they like to buy things every time they go to the store for the grandchild. Sometimes you have to say, eh, you don't need that. Somehow some, something happens when they become grandmas and grandpas too. But anyway, uh, you know, just because he likes to buy something, you know, th that can show a lack of discipline or poor stewardship. So it's, it's a discipline to do what's right, a meek spirit. Uh, I've often said meekness is doing right in difficult circumstances. You know, meekness is not a weakness. Moses was the meekest man on the earth, the Bible tells us at this time. He was not a weak, weak man. And Jesus was meek, and yet he was not weak. So, so a meek spirit, it is a strength. It's not a weakness. But it's being a spirit disciplined to do right. Secondly, you know, as we think about it, not only it says a meek, but a quiet spirit. A quiet spirit. Peaceable spirit of not many words. Or a using your words wisely. I often joke with my wife, you know, she has to get her 40,000 words out every day. Uh, women like to talk, uh, usually, more than men. With men, you know, we can, we can go all day and not say too much, but at least some of us. Um, you know, I can particularly, but, but women like to talk, and they want somebody to listen to them. You don't have to say anything, just listen, always. But, uh, uh, but peaceable, not contentious words. Again, that's the idea. The context here tells us not contentious words. You know, not a nagging spirit or a critical spirit. Uh, so, uh, uh, Proverbs 21, verse 9. I don't have that. 1, verse 9. Um. <clears throat> oh. It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. Uh, again, speaking about a loud and clamorous uh, woman there. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. says, Let the women learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach with authority, but to be in silence. Again, that doesn't mean she can't talk. Of course, it's talking there in particular in the church. But, uh, but she, she needs to have a peaceable spirit. A godly woman is not outspoken, argumentative or temperamental. She has a meek and quiet disposition which brings glory to God and is a crown, Proverbs tells us, to her husband. Uh, look at Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. <clears throat> Proverbs 4, verse 9. Talking about and it says, She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. In Proverbs 12 and verse 4, again, Proverbs says, A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. So a meek and quiet spirit. Then we also see, her role models here in verses 5 and 6 of, of uh, 1, Peter, or 1 Peter 3 says, For after this manner, 
In old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, objection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. So he reminds us here that there were in, in, in old time that trusted in God and adorned themselves with a meek and quiet spirit. Now, uh, and it mentions Sarah. Now, Sarah submitted to Abraham, calling him Lord. She was not, and it says here, she's not afraid with any amazement. Again, you know, I mentioned this last week. She went out with Abraham not knowing whether they went. She was not afraid. It says she was not afraid. Now, she trusted Abraham, but I believe there's something a little deeper than that. I think she had a very solid trust in God as well. Um, but she trusted Abraham. You know, you know I'm, I'm sure he probably sat down and talked to her about it. Says this is what we... And, and she submitted to, to what, what the, the Lord was speaking to him about and went out. She was also not afraid to have a child when she was past 90. I know some of you women say, not me, brother. Well, not me either, but, but uh, <laughs> not that I'd have one, but you know, I wouldn't, I'm not sure I'd want my wife to have one that age either. But anyway, uh, <laughs> no, she was not afraid. <laughs> it was a child of promise, and God, that God was afraid of that. Uh, I, I also thought of Jochebed. Go to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. You know, it mentions Sarah particularly, but first to other women. And John was <coughs> Moses and Aaron and Miriam's mother. And she lived during a difficult time. There were difficult circumstances. You know, they were uh, in bondage in Egypt. And say about Aaron, about anything about his birth, but you know, evidently I believe what I would assume from this narrative that, that Moses gives us of, of this time was that Aaron was evidently born before Pharaoh decided, hey, we kill all the male children. But Moses wasn't. Moses was younger than Aaron was. Uh, Miriam was actually the oldest children. But, but so you see uh, in her a spirit disciplined to do right Difficult circumstances. Chapter 2, Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. There went a man of the house of Levi and took the daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bare a son. When she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. So again, this is after Pharaoh has made a decree and told the midwives every man child of the Hebrews. Uh, and when she could no longer... not not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime with pitch and put the child therein. She laid it in the flags by the river's bank. Could you imagine moms taking your three-month-old baby boy? Now when it says she saw he was a proper, a goodly child, he was a, he was a beautiful, beautiful baby. 
And, and so could you imagine taking your three-month-old child, what, what's in the Nile River? Crocodiles. Think of it, crocodiles. Taking your three-month-old baby boy that you love and building a little ark and putting it in it. Now, she put it in the flag, so probably it didn't float away. That's probably why she put it there. That would keep it in place. But the crocodiles could still get it. That's what she did. It reminds me of Daniel. You know, Daniel's in a difficult circumstance. He knows he's going to be, he knows his faith is going to be tried. He knows he's going to be tested. But he's already determined that he's going to, he's going to obey the Lord. And so, because he had already determined that, God gave him wisdom to know what to do when the time came. You know, his first answer was, I can't eat this stuff. And, you know, Melzar says, yeah, well, if, if you don't eat, it's my head. Well, Daniel says, well, could you, could you give us a test? Could you give us an alternative? And so, that God gave her this plan, and the plan was to put this baby boy in this ark, hoping some Egyptian would come along and take pity on. And then she had her, his older sister stand by so that when the Egyptian woman came, I mean, this baby's going to need a nurse. Oh, a woman has just given birth to nothing. So you see your, you know, his little sister. Think of the risk involved here. His older sister stand by and back and watch and wait for some Egyptian lady to come by take pity on him and, and, and run over and say, do you want me to call somebody, uh, a woman to nurse him? Oh, sure. Uh, and that's what he did. Notice verse 4 says, And his sister stood off, far off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river's bank, riverside. When she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and, brought, and, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. So, so yes, she was in difficult sense. She even got paid. So, she, she didn't give up. She obeyed the Lord. She trusted the Lord and did what was right, even in difficult circumstances, and trusted God to provide a way through it. Of course, Hannah is another example in 1 Samuel 1, chapter 1. You know, again, Hannah in a house of conflict being provoked by the other wife. 
to our adversary. And ask God for a man child. And of course God gave that to her. So, so we see here some examples of women with a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of But I want to notice then also the consideration of the husband. Go back to First Peter chapter three. Consideration of the husband. Um, verse seven. Why? And again, there's our connection word. Like as Christ loved the church. Likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving vessel, and as being of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Your godly men are to be considerate of their husbands. We're to treat our wives different than the world does. We're to dwell with them, he says here, we're to dwell with them according to knowledge. You know, I've often said, I heard this said one time, and, and it's true, we're to study her like you'd study for a degree. Um, the idea here is moral wisdom and right living. We're to study her. Uh, In, the, in this book, Love and Respect, one of the things he says is, don't take her criticisms too seriously. You need to decode them. You see, when men and women can say the same things and mean something totally different. A wife will walk into the closet and say, I don't have anything to wear. And the husband's thinking, you got a whole rack. What's she saying? I don't have anything new to wear. Or I don't know what I want to wear. You know, if the husband says, I don't have anything to wear, you know what that means? Now, they've said the same thing, but it means something totally different. Um. You know, I have learned if my wife says, you know, she'll, she'll say, and sometimes she really means it, but, some, you know, if you're going to go out to eat and she, you ask her where she wants to go, oh, I don't care. You know, in his book on family unity, one time, the brother, uh, Fremont was talking about how they were driving down the road and, and uh, he asked his wife if she wanted to go to this, uh, I think it was an arts, arts fair or festival or something anyway, and, and she didn't give him a clear answer. And, and then she said, well, you know, there usually isn't parking there, you know, at around noon, and it was around noon, and he said, so you, you really want to go, he, she, she said, well, it won't, you know, it's, it's not as crowded, uh, and he said, so you really do want to go, don't you, and he, she said, yeah, well, he, he, she said, you didn't know I wanted to go, he said, no, but I just found out, hints, you know, um, see, men and women, of course, men and women are wired differently, Somebody has said that women are like a light circuit that has 3,000 bulbs in it, and if 1,000 of them are out, the whole thing is shot. <laughs> this, uh, in love and respect, the guy said, if, if, if 
his wife who said, if I'm mad at one thing, I'm for him about everything. But a husband who can be upset with his wife about one thing, and it's just that one thing. God made us that way. And so we men, we husbands, need to dwell with them according to knowledge. That's what I'm talking about. We need to dwell with them according They're different than we are. They don't think like we do. That's why God says to dwell with them according to knowledge. We are to be the head of the home. We are to take the leadership. Even in resolving conflicts. We are to love her even if she doesn't always respect us. Now, Lord Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5. Again, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So what men, so he's still talking about the husband-wife relationship. So what men to love their wives as their own bodies, he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord's church. So, so you know, as we think about it, the word nourish here means to support, to maintain, to encourage. So we're to support our wives. One of the things that, that I have worked and tried to learn, believe me, I haven't arrived, so don't, you know, think that I have is that, you know, my wife gets discouraged about it. She does things every week. She cooks a meal in 15 minutes, it's gone. She'll wash clothes, and the next day there's dirty ones again. She'll clean the house, and she's got to go it again during, later in the week. And sometimes she gets this feeling, and I understand, I do the same things over and over again. What's the use? It just gets dirty again. I just have to make another meal. Yeah, what, what reward is there in that? She has said already that you know, I can go out and work in a house, and I can see the change. What she see after a meal? We get fatter. Uh, well, the kids are growing, you know. Uh, so, so it appears sometimes that there isn't anything of value yet. Doesn't appear. So, so when it, when we it says men ought to nourish their wives, we're to support them. We're to encourage them. Uh, Again, you know, they are investing in the lives, not only of a husband, but of children. Which will be for eternity. You know, Proverbs says this. You know, it talks about all her labors, but her children will rise up and call her blessed. But there is a great investment. They need nourishment. That word cherish really means to form or to keep. 
of and care. It says here that love his wife even as and 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 um with his wife loveth himself. So we're cherished. We're also, it says, of honor. Um in, in go back to Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter three. He says we're to dwell with them according to knowledge, and then giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, when we think about the weaker vessel uh, of the wife, you know, some of my kids were today were talking about the, the uh, um, some TV program or something that, that's demonstrating Difference between male and female. You know, the wife is the weaker vessel. Brother, I had an excellent article. Uh, in the differences between and the way God, the way God made them. You know, again. The military is weakened because we've got women in combat. Combat. I mean, they can't do some of the drills. That I, I remember when we, when I was in school, they started co-ed gym. And all of a sudden, we boys couldn't play war. And I hated it. Because I love war. We took volleyballs and threw at each other. But not the girls. Why, the girls. I don't expect them to play war. I don't want a girl that wants to play war. That isn't a lady to me. No. For the weaker vessel. And we're to give honor, he says here, unto the weaker, unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, as being together the grace of life. So that word honor means to hold an estimation or respect. You know, the world, the world now says that Christians are male chauvinists. But think about, put this in context when it was written. Probably then Paul would have been accused of being, you know, uh, a sissy to his wife. Well, he didn't have a wife, but you know, uh, you know, because back then a wife was just property. She was like a slave almost. No, this is this is exalted for her, giving care and respect to her as the weaker vessel. You know, if if, if there's something that care to it. You know, Christ loved the church. And he he for the church. So it means really to, to hold in estimation or in respect. Um it's the idea there. And then he says one says, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. You know, so, uh, you know, as, as heirs together, of course, you know, husband and wife are to be one, are, are, uh, and, and they are, they are to, um, it, it, as I said last week, it is the training ground.
And selfishness in the home will hinder your prayers. To not treat your wife right will short-circuit your prayers. It's a sin against God. To not respect your husband will short-circuit your prayers. And he in verse in verse nine. Finally, be all one. Think for evil or railing for error, contrary, knowing that you are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing. So, so we all wives are to uh, be in submission. You know, their their uh, conversation is a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God, a great price. A chaste conversation that is coupled or mixed with fear or reverence for their husband. It is a, it is a, is a, uh, uh, that which is in sight of God, a great price. And we husbands are to give consideration to our wives as a weaker. You know, our wives ought to know, without us saying it, that we love them. They all know it. If they don't, something wrong. And, you know, for them to know it, it's going to require that we take time to give consideration to them. I think I shared this with you before, but a man asked me one time, he said, what do you tell a person that says he doesn't think he loves his wife? And I said, well, I believe the Bible teaches that you can learn to love. And you learn to love those you spend time with. I would say probably, most likely, he's not spending enough time with his wife. I saved the marriage that day with just those words. Husbands, your wives, wives, it will bring manifold blessings into your marriage and into your home. Might God help us to have a home that pleases and honors the Lord. Let's pray.